Story 3, The Guardian of Riotho. She stepped forward. Her Yorback skin boots usually slid over the snow, but they caught on this strange brown clumpy surface. Rocks she was familiar with, though that didn't stop them from pressing into her feet with every step. Her long dark hair became tangled around the smaller branches that reached out from the bases of the towering trees. The white fur of her coat prevented her from blending into her surroundings in the way she was accustomed to. Her prey generally fell before realizing why. In this new landscape, she would have to learn to adjust. One of the kids that they had found at the farm was sitting outside of the house as she approached. When it noticed her, it scampered away, fleeing into the forest. Both children seemed terrified ever since the villagers had arrived. It was understandable, she thought. Anyone would be shaken after encountering a dragon. Well, almost anyone. She knocked on the door to the house and stepped back as the farmer opened it. You're here early today, he said. Well, it was a beautiful sunrise and I couldn't resist watching it. I... He stepped away from the door, frame, and allowed her to enter. She did so, making her way to the table in the main room. Can I get you something? asked the farmer. Water, some Jinro nuts. She shook her head. All that I'd like right now is to know where that dragon and its rider went off to. Think you could tell me? I have told you. Again, I don't know of any dragon. I don't even know what that is. After three days of questioning, the farmer had refused to speak. But that would change, she thought. She smiled to herself. Of course you do, Naka. Just as she had hoped, the farmer flinched and took a step back when she used his name. She reveled in his being caught off guard. Everyone seemed to think they could escape, hide away all on their own. She was the proof that everyone was beholden. You were told the same stories that are still told to my generation. Maybe you had never seen a dragon before now. After all, they were considered to be nothing but myth. But before we arrived at your lovely home, you hosted another person, and the dragon that accompanied them. I know this already. It's been three days, and I've been kind with you. You've had every opportunity to freely tell us what you know. I'm giving you one more chance. Now is your time to speak up and tell me where they went. She waited for a moment, allowing him the space to reveal what he knew. Moments passed and it became increasingly clear that he would not. Pity. She whistled, and two more villagers came into the house, each pushing one of Naka's children with one hand and holding a sharpened icicle with the other. Ready to talk, Naka? The farmer held her gaze, though his mouth was pursed in a straight line while hers was upturned in a ferocious smile. She knew she shouldn't enjoy it as much as she did, but after all of the pain that Pana had left behind as they fled the village on the back of that cursed dragon, she decided that she would enjoy whatever came her way. Minutes later, Vare left the house and strode back towards the camp the villagers had set up in the fields, her violet eyes reflecting the small amount of sunlight that breached the tree canopy above. Gather your things, she called to the small group. We're going. Maybe if I just... Pana held the stone out towards a tree and closed their eyes. When they opened them again, 
nothing had happened. The stone was just as blue as it had always been. The only difference between it and the ice back home was that the stone didn't seem to melt when exposed to Wave Skimmer's fire. The dragon blinked his large green eyes and tilted his head. He brought his foot up and stepped down on the ground. Panna thought for a moment. Good idea, let's see what happens. They knelt on the ground and placed the stone on top of the dirt. Panna closed their eyes and placed their hands on their knees. For a whole minute, they waited. Then they opened their eyes and looked at the stone. Was it a different shade of blue? Panna thought it may have been, but then shook their head, realizing it was just wishful thinking. Saustan couldn't just explain how to work the stone. I know she said it protects people from the elements, but how do we use it to do that? Panna asked Wave Skimmer. Wave Skimmer shook his body, his scales a mix of colors. Yeah, I don't know either, Panna replied. They placed their hand on Wave Skimmer's side. But if you have any ideas, let me know. I'll always listen to you. Panna put the stone in one of the bags that hung from Wave Skimmer's makeshift saddle. They had made the saddle from some thick cloths that had been left in Salston's cave while they were waiting for the storm to subside. It was a tad more comfortable than riding on scales that reminded them of packed ice. With the remaining cloth, they had also made some bags to hold their possessions, food, and water. The farther south they flew, the warmer the temperature around them seemed to grow. Never having traveled very far, Panna wasn't used to this. There were certainly days back home that had been colder, or had seen the snow shoot from the sky at higher velocities than normal, but the weather tended to not deviate too much. Here, things seemed to be drastically different from what they had considered normal. The snow here had thinned considerably, and was peppered with patches of reddish earth. Other than the occasional rock, Panna hadn't seen actual earth before. Wave skimmers seemed to not mind the warmer temperatures, but Panna had to take off their fur coat and cut a hole in one of the cloths and pull it over their upper body. It wasn't particularly comfortable, but it would do until they could find new clothes. Panna felt odd and small without their coat, but it was simply too hot to continue wearing it. The trees, too, were different. Some had spindly leaves, just like those of the dawn trees in Naka's forest. But many others had wider leaves. These leaves were different from one tree to the next. Panna traced them in a notebook they had found left behind in the cave. Not knowing the names of any of the trees, they decided to give them some. One tree had pale green leaves with ridges running along their surface. Panna called the ridge-leafed tree a mountain tree. A different tree's leaves looked like wave skimmer's claws and were almost as sharp as them. And so it was named the Slicer. Wave skimmer himself approved mightily of this name. When Panna suggested the name to him, he raised his claws skywards and roared with approval. The ice Panna had known their whole life was replaced by flowing water. They camped one night alongside a large stream of water rushing towards the west. Panna had dipped their toes into the strange phenomena, eyeing a small limbless creature that moved beneath the surface of the water. Wave skimmer dove right in. Animals roamed around them in numbers that Panna was not sure they could fathom, even after seeing the creatures. None were like the thick and sturdy Yorbak, or like the giant Eark whose fur lined Panna's coat. Their colors were warmer shades of browns and reds mixed in with some grays. Some didn't even have fur at all. 
One morning, they were woken by a small flying organisms that seemed to be signing to one another. As one flew overhead, a small fluffy wisp fell from it, gliding gently to the floor. It resembled one of Waveskimmer's scales, but was much softer. Pana did not yet have the language to describe this new and large world. Over time, they imagined they might find that language. The stone, though perplexing, was not nearly as enjoyable to try to figure out as the rest of the world was. No matter how many times they studied the stone, nothing revealed itself. Sometimes at night, Pana would take it out and stare at it until they fell asleep. Those nights, Pana would sleep deeply, occasionally dreaming the same dream. A vague shadow flitted through trees. A storm rolled over a vast body of water, even larger and more powerful than the streams they had been discovering over the past days. A mountain reached towards the sky, but instead of a dead city held within, a new city rose from its surface, awash in the colors of the falling sun. But as Pana walked towards the city, they always found their path blocked by an almost recognizable figure. After these dreams, Pana would wake up, more curious than ever, but lacking any new insights about the stone. While Naka's house had been built out of wood cut from a tree, this house seemed to be woven from the trees themselves. Pressing close to one another, the trees formed the walls of the house and left no space between them. The trunks bent away from each other higher up allowing their branches to extend and form the roof with thick layers of leaves. And yet, the structure was still recognizable as a house. A small rock path led to a door that, though it swung open, still appeared to be a living part of the tree. Pana and Waveskimmer walked up to the door, for there was a door large enough to admit even Waveskimmer, and Pana knocked. Hello, they called. Is anybody home? No one answered. After a few more knocks, Pana and Waveskimmer decided that they would wait by the house to see if anyone came back. Hopefully they wouldn't be perturbed by the sight of a dragon. Until then, they would replenish their food supply from vegetation in the nearby area that Waveskimmer determined was safe to eat, and hopefully learn how to work the stone. Evening came. Their bags were filled with new berries and roots that Waveskimmer had deemed edible as well as a paste that had secreted from a thick, oblong plant that he had accidentally stepped on. Pana had scooped the paste into their hands and slurped it down. They shivered in distaste, the paste reminding them of raw permamere, but the horrible taste only lasted a minute before it was replaced by something different. The texture still felt wrong, but Pana also felt full in a way they didn't remember ever feeling before. They even felt more energetic. Waveskimmer also tried it, shaking his head in disgust, before humming with pleasure as the taste changed. From that moment on, they would store the round plants holding the paste. Pana affectionately named the plants Yuck Yums. By the time the sun set, no one had returned to the house. I wonder if anyone even lives here, Pana wondered. Waveskimmer rammed his head against the door, shaking the branches of the trees above. Leaves floated down around them. He backed up and prepared to headbutt the door again, but Pana tapped him on the shoulder and called out, No! Wave skimmer, what if the person who lives here is out, foraging for food, or hunting? 
We can't just break down their door. Pana rubbed Wave Skimmer's scales. Come on, let's just wait outside. We can set up camp here. And if no one shows up in the morning, then we'll leave. So they both walked away from the house. Pana found a spot beneath a tree that was comfortable and lay down on the ground. The night air was so warm compared to the village. Pana had been using their coat as a blanket, but tonight they didn't bother. They just lay beneath the trees, catching an occasional glimpse of the stars above. Wave Skimmer lay down next to them, plopping his head alongside their body. Thanks, friend. Pana leaned their own head against his cheek. The scales on his back may have been cold and rough, but there was nothing more comforting than snuggling next to his face. They both fell asleep. Pana knew they were asleep, and yet they felt wide awake. They were lying next to Wave Skimmer beneath a large slicer tree. With a tremendous amount of willpower, they stood up. Wave Skimmer, Pana called, tapping him with their hand. Wave Skimmer! But he did not respond. The forest was dark. Was this a dream? It felt unlike any dream Pana had ever experienced, if it was. If not for the fact that they knew they were asleep, Pana wouldn't have even thought this was a dream. There appeared to be no difference between whatever this was and the real world. And then Pana saw the eyes. Pana blinked, thinking they had imagined the eyes, but when they opened their own eyes, the strange glowing ones were still there, only a few meters away. There was no noise, only the eyes. The eyes moved. Never once did they stop glowing through the darkness, but they didn't illuminate anything around them. There must have been trees and rocks. Pana didn't think they had suddenly been transported somewhere else, but the surrounding area appeared even darker than before. There was no way of telling what was beyond their own body, except for those mysterious glowing eyes. Pana tried to take a step forward, but couldn't. Instead, the eyes did. And then they grew almost in an instant, expanding from two pinpricks to everything. Pana was no longer looking at the eyes, but was inside them. They screamed, but even the noise seemed to be absorbed by the light of the eyes. And then they woke up. Pana couldn't tell if they had yelled or gasped really heavily. They sat upright and glanced around them. Everything was dark. Whatever those eyes in the dream were, they appeared to have stayed in that dream. Nothing seemed to be stirring around them. Wave Skimmer, hey, wake up! They nudged Wave Skimmer until he grunted to show he was listening. They had told him about the strange dream they had had. As they spoke, Wave Skimmer grew more attentive. He waited for Pana to finish before he gestured towards the house. Thanks, Pana said. I think I would be more comfortable staying in there tonight. If the owner comes back, we can explain the situation to them. Together, they walked towards the house. Wave Skimmer broke down the door and they both went inside. Pana put the door back in place before lying down on the hard floor. It took a while for Pana to fall asleep again, but eventually they found their eyelids drooping and grew too tired to do anything about it. When the morning came, the sun shone through the tightly woven trees. It was like waking up in a dense forest. Pana could hear birds singing nearby, smell the aroma of living trees and the biotic activities they hosted, and they could even see some animals, 
the usual dragon whose scales were cycling through colors as he snored, and a dog. Panna had never seen a dog, but they knew from the stories that this had to be one. It was covered in short fur that may have been brown, or just coated with dirt and dust. Two ears started to rise from its head and then flopped down over themselves. One had a chunk missing from it. It had a long tail which hung stiffly behind it. That too had a chunk missing out of the very end of it. The dog's eyes were a dull black color. They may have held some deeper intent in them, but the dog seemed to be looking at Panna so casually that they couldn't get any sense of what the dog may be thinking. Hey there, Panna said. How did you get in the house? The dog didn't blink. It just cocked its head to one side, continuing to stare at Panna. Wave Skimmer snored greatly and then opened his eyes. He glanced at Panna and yawned once. Then he looked at the dog. With a sudden burst of energy, Wave Skimmer leaped to his feet and roared at the dog. If the dog was frightened or intimidated in any way, it did not show it. It continued to look at Panna and Wave Skimmer as if it were bored, and they weren't as entertaining as it had thought they might be. Panna walked to Wave Skimmer and put their hand on his side. Hey there, Wave Skimmer, what's wrong? The dragon continued to stare at the dog, his teeth showing as he snarled. Even his tail swung back and forth in the way that it did when he wanted to make himself look larger than he was. A useful trick against other creatures, it appeared to have no impact on this dog. It continued to look at them without showing any emotion. Hey, what are you doing there? Panna asked Wave Skimmer. The ferocity with which he had raged at the dog had startled Panna. They had never seen their friend quite like this. It's just a dog, there's nothing to be worried about. But Wave Skimmer wouldn't listen. He continued to bare his fangs at the dog changing his scales to a hard red. There was no way to know if the dog actually minded this behavior. Ignoring Wave Skimmer, it glanced at Panna, nodded towards the door, and then turned and walked out of the house. Panna went to walk after it, but they were stopped by one of Wave Skimmer's wings. What's wrong? they asked a second time. Wave Skimmer shook his head and snarled at the door. He then turned and pointed his snout in the opposite direction. I get what you're saying, but there doesn't appear to be anything strange about this dog. Back before the cataclysm, dogs used to be companions to humans. I have a good feeling about this one. I know that it must be strange for you, Panna added, reaching out their arms to Wave Skimmer and hugging him tightly, seeing as you're a dragon and probably never heard of dogs before today. I'm asking you to trust me. With a short grumble, Wave Skimmer walked out of the house. Panna followed close behind. He continued to glare at the dog, but at least he wasn't attacking it. Together, they followed the dog into the woods. The woods weren't particularly deep. After only a few minutes, the dog stopped walking. Panna, on the other hand, continued onwards and had to be grabbed by Wave Skimmer's tail to prevent them from falling off the cliff face. Whoa! That really came out of nowhere, Panna said, only to be wrapped lightly on the head by Wave Skimmer. I know, I'll pay attention, sorry. They stood at the edge of a giant bowl, miles wide, filled with red dirt and rock. Bright green rivers pushed across the red expanse like a wide and porous net. At the very far end, a green waterfall, 
though it didn't appear to actually consist of water, but rather some other near liquid, flopped down to the ground. The cliff face was sheer without any signs of ledges or rocks jutting out from the side that could be used to climb out of the bowl if someone were to fall in. And yet, in the center of the Great Depression, a small village rose out of the earth. The three of them flew down to the village. Wave skimmer squirmed as the dog climbed onto his back, but Pana managed to keep him still long enough. They landed on the edge of the village, not too far that they wouldn't be noticed, yet far enough to give any villagers time to respond. And respond they did. A group of villagers appeared nearby, and instead of the icicles wielded by hunters up north, these people appeared to swing small ropes above their heads. The ends of the ropes were tied to cubes cut from the surrounding rocks. They wobbled through the air as they spun, never quite straying from their arc, but never maintaining one clean path either. As they neared the group, Pana noticed the villagers' mouths and noses were covered by cloth masks. Indeed, most of their bodies were covered, first by a tight layer of cloth above which was wrapped more flowing strands of cloth, short enough to not trail behind them as they walked. Pana felt a fleeting moment of discomfort as they looked down at the thin top concealing their own torso. The clothing of the villagers only exposed their eyes, all of which were acidic green, with even greener veins running through them, and the smallest amount of pale skin around them. A tall individual, who must have been the leader, walked forward from the group, swinging their weapon wildly. In a deep, tragic voice, they called out to the approaching party, No further! You'll leave Riotho if you wish to continue living! Pana held up their hands, even though they carried no weapons. Wave Skimmer sat and tried to appear as docile as possible. Most of the group facing them kept their eyes on him, the lead figure suddenly changed the pattern of their arc as if they were tracing with their weapon, preparing to launch it at them, when the dog walked out from the behind Pana. At the last minute, the person twisted, and their cube swung towards the ground, breaking apart into a fine dust as it hit other rocks. The people behind the leader dropped their own weapons and then fell to the ground, bowing towards the dog. Forgive me, the leader said as they knelt on the ground. I did not see that you are with the guardian. If it has brought you here, then you are indeed welcome. Pana glanced at Wave Skimmer. He also seemed confused. They looked at the figure in front of them and asked, Um, sorry, but who's a guardian? What's being guarded? Without a sound, the dog walked forward to the leader. It circled around them and turned to look back at Pana and Wave Skimmer. The leader got slowly to their feet. I am Tur, and this, they said, raising their voice and gesturing towards the dog, is the guardian of Riotho. Never once did the dog blink or wag its tail. Tur walked the group to the village. None of the robed figures seemed to want to walk near Wave Skimmer and kept stumbling over each other in their efforts to remain out of his line of vision. Tur tried reassuring everyone, reminding everyone that their guardian was here with them, and surely wouldn't let anyone fall prey to a dragon, but their words were, went unheeded. If you want to make yourself scared, then even the guardian can't help you, they said with a sigh. 
they took Pana and Wave Skimmer to their village, Riotho. The everlasting sanctuary, the villagers had called it, though it didn't look particularly safe. Now that they were closer to the green rivers, Pana could feel a sort of heat that wasn't exactly heat emanating from it. They felt their skin crawl and once again wished that they were wearing something over their arms. It was like being home again, except instead of needing to wear layers to protect from the cold, here they needed something to protect them from whatever this river was. When Pana asked her about the river, they said, Ah, yes, the poisonous streams. They don't flow very fast, but they can carve a new channel every generation or so. We must constantly reconfigure the layout of the village because of them. That seems inconvenient, Pana replied. Ter nodded. Oh, yes, and living close to the stream certainly isn't ideal for any living creature. Pana had to check that the figures walking next to them were indeed living. They couldn't be certain. Um, are, are you living creatures? Of course, Ter chuckled. They may have been smiling, though the cloth wrappings concealed any evidence of that as well. We are all living creatures, humans in fact, but the cloth keeps us safe. They wrapped one of the cloths around their arm. We bind these cloths tight around us to prevent the toxic fumes from reaching our bodies. Some gets in through our eyes, but not enough to kill us, and our eyes have adapted to the changes. Oh, I see. Um, can I ask what changes? I really don't know how our ancestors used to see, but I assume there were some changes. But nothing as horrible as what would have happened if we had ventured beyond the valley. Nothing as horrible as what has happened to you. Pana stopped walking. Excuse me, they exclaimed. What do you mean nothing as horrible as what happened to you? I happen to quite like who I am. And that was true to a point, though they still held so much guilt over what had happened in the village. And during the hunting trip, at least they felt comfortable with their own basic physical self. This time, when they looked down at their hands, Pana admired their brown skin, their dark, shoulder-length hair that they always brushed to one side. They knew that their own eyes were brown, and they reminded themselves to look at them the next time they were around an ice sheet. They even liked how they were taller than most of the villagers back home, but not too tall as to stand out. There was absolutely nothing wrong with these new people in Ryotho, but nonetheless, Pana didn't want to be treated as if they were some sort of maladapted specimen. I'm sorry, Tur said. I meant no offense. It's just that everyone knows in Ryotho that it is excruciating to step outside of the valley. We are safe here. The world beyond is even more toxic. No, I mean parts of it are sure, but there was nothing toxic about my home or any of the places we've been to since. Well, you're welcome to your beliefs, but we know better. Just look at how sickly you are. No, we once dreamed of leaving this valley, roaming beyond Riotho. Our ancestors thought they might find something better in the outside world. One day, a party left the village. They roamed the world looking for other humans who had survived the great boiling, the end of the world. But there was nothing out there. 
Though they looked, they found no sign of life. The only thing they did find was a house made entirely of living trees. Panna looked at Waveskimmer. He, however, had turned to the dog. While Tur was speaking, Waveskimmer leaped at the dog. He snapped his jaws and drove his claws into the ground, but the dog wasn't there. It stood beside Tur, gazing without interest at the snarling dragon. Hey, enough! Panna ran in front of the dragon and held out their arms. This has to stop. You can't keep attacking a dog. Waveskimmer seemed to disagree. He continued to flash his teeth at the dog while his scales pulsated with a bright red light, making it hard for Panna to look at him. When he tried to get around the human, they sidestepped, blocking his path. He dove to the other side, but Panna moved wherever he did. If there had been more space, or if Panna had not started as close to the dragon as they did, perhaps Waveskimmer would have gotten past them. Despite their lack of wings, fire-breathing abilities, and upper-body strength, as long as Panna could stay between him and the dog, Waveskimmer wouldn't attack. He wouldn't risk hurting Panna. He placed both of his front paws on the ground, moving his head from Panna to the side, asking them to move. They held out their open hand to him, reaching towards his snout. Everything is okay. We're okay. Nothing is going to hurt you. Perhaps, interjected Tur. It might be best if your companion were to spend the night outside of the village. They raised their hand, and the nearby villagers raised their weapons. No, Panna yelled. No, don't hurt him. He'll stay outside of the village. Won't you, Wave Skimmer? They looked at him, willing him to understand, to know that they needed to find out how these people had survived all these years, and why they wouldn't leave now. Panna held out both hands to Wave Skimmer, and this time they wrapped them around his neck, hugging him. I know you mean well. You know I trust you. But Salston said we have a chance to help the world. Maybe, maybe this is our chance. These are the first people we've seen since we met Salston, and maybe we can help them. But we can't help them if you're attacking this guardian of theirs. I'm sorry, but you need to stay outside of Riotho. And with that, Panna turned away, leaving Waveskimmer to sit next to a river of acid, watching as they retreated into Riotho. Immediately, Panna regretted their decision. Despite Waveskimmer's odd behavior around the dog, or the guardian, as these people referred to it, his presence nearby had always been a comfort. Together, they had left their village, befriended Naka and his children, retrieved the mysterious stone from inside the depths of an ancient city, and made it here. Alone, Panna failed to fit in. They didn't quite fit in when Waveskimmer was around either, but at least there was no reason to do so. Tur walked them into the village of Riotho itself. It currently nestled closer to the western half of the valley, though, as the green rivers pushed the sediment around them out of the, their way, Riotho would have to be moved yet again. Only one trail of green sludge made it anywhere near it at this point, but as Tur reminded them, that would likely change within the year. The rivers flowed slowly, but they moved the landscape around them as if they were permamir tunneling through it. The people of Riotho had to be quicker. And they absolutely were. Most of the buildings were not actually made of the surrounding material. Instead, they appeared to be made of the same cloths 
that the villagers wrapped around their bodies. They were tied around rocky stakes that had been driven into the ground, and that could also be removed at given a moment's notice. This setup allowed the villagers to move quickly from one place to another with relative ease. Where do you get all these cloths from? Panna asked, looking out at the barren rocky landscape. Only a few crops grew on the edges of Riotho in the cubic red rocks. Tur nodded towards the river. From within the acid itself, of course. Though we are incapable of living within the rivers, there are creatures, the doflas, that do. They have a thick fur coat that is resilient to any form of liquid, be it water or acid, and so they can survive here with relative ease. They pointed to the nearby river, and Pana noticed dozens of small creatures running around the riverbank. Low to the ground, they swung their long snouts back and forth over the rocks as they waddled on twelve legs, their five tails trailing behind them. One jumped into the river, and then a moment later popped back out almost a full fifty feet from where it had started. Whoa, Pana said. Those doflas are fast, almost like... They thought of Wave Skimmer and the first time they had flown together. They had gone so far out over the ice that the ice was no longer frozen. Wave Skimmer had dived towards the water, but instead of the freezing death that Pana had expected, their friend bounced off of the waves at an angle, increasing his speed if that were possible. Pana forced themselves not to look towards where they had left him. Their thoughts were interrupted by a sudden shout a short distance from where the doflas were lounging. The creatures shot into the acid at the sound of the cry. Pana turned towards the source and saw a person begin to sink into the ground. Tur turned to the villagers around them. It's Trie! You all know what to do! Let's go save her! Wave Skimmer can fly her out of there. No, stated Tur. The dragon comes no closer to the village. He remains where he is. We do this our way. Everyone in the group ran over to the woman now submerged to her waist. One individual stopped five feet away from her, the next stopped five feet away from that person, and then so on, until there was a line of people each spaced apart at even intervals. They all drew their cubic weapons attached to ropes, swung them, and then wrapped them around the person in front of them. The first individual wrapped their weapon, or tool, as Bono was beginning to think of the strange implement, around Trie. Simultaneously, they heaved, pulling her out of the crumbled pieces of rock around her. All the while, the guardian of Riotho looked on. Once they had made sure that Trie was all right, Tur explained to Pana that the floor of the valley was extremely unstable due to the continuous carving force of the acid rivers. With each passing moment, more and more rock was disintegrated, incorporated into the rivers, and deposited elsewhere in the valley. The rock never had time to consolidate and form a solid structure. The cubes at the end of their tools were the most cohesive rocks in the valley, but they too crumbled upon impact. That is why most of the work conducted outside of the village near the rivers is done by women. Men are larger and have a greater chance of falling into the ground, and so they remain in the village where there is less of a chance of the ground caving in. Although accidents can happen to anyone, as we just observed, explained Tur. 
As they finally reached the makeshift homes of Ryotho, Pana realized that they couldn't quite tell who the men and women were. The layers of cloth the villagers wore made it impossible to check. Perhaps in Ryotho the distinction was made by size and lightness of foot, rather than by the ways Pana was used to back in their own village. As they walked through the village, Pana asked, why do you stay here if everything is so treacherous? Wouldn't it make more sense to move somewhere where there aren't rivers of acid that can move through your home in a day? Or where the ground isn't so broken up that people literally fall through it? But the outside world is just as bad, Tur responded. When our ancestors returned from their trip outside of the valley, they found the guardian. It came back to the village with them. Ever since then, those initial voyagers and their descendants began to have visions every night when they went to sleep. These images were horrifying. People believed they were about to die. When they woke up, they would see the guardian standing over them. It chased away the visions. It still does every night. You still get these visions? asked Pana. Indeed. Every night, few people have them. They always end when the guardian arrives to drive them away. Somehow it senses when a person is having the visions and makes its way to them. We don't know why these visions occur, but something must have happened outside of the valley to start them. Maybe it's a disease or a curse. No one has been quite able to figure it out. After Pana had seen the village, Tur led them to an empty cloth building. It was more spacious than it appeared from the outside, though Pana still had to duck when standing inside it. Tur promised to get them fitted for their very own acid-resistant cloths the next day, and then left them alone. Hours later, Pana remained awake. They thought of Wave Skimmer and wondered how he was. If he had flown out of the valley, they wouldn't have blamed him. Thinking about it made it hard for Pana to breathe. But it was important to get to know Ryotho and the people here, at least for a little while, and Waveskimmer couldn't jeopardize that by threatening the dog, the guardian. Pana resolved that they would see Waveskimmer first thing in the morning. They would bring him some snacks. Earlier, they had seen a villager growing a large plant with a hard shell and thought that Waveskimmer might like to try that. Content with their plan for the morning, Pana went to sleep. The dreams started almost immediately. Pana knew they were asleep and yet felt like they were almost awake. Time seemed to move forward faster than their own body did. Each step took minutes. Their foot didn't quite drag through the space, nor was it pushed forward as if in a current. There was nothing around them to judge how fast they were truly moving. It was just a feeling that Pana had each time they tried to move. Why they were moving, they didn't know. Pana placed their foot down and then realized that things were much more complicated than that. They still seemed to be moving forward with the momentum of their initial steps. To move or to stay put both required an immense mental effort. And then they were on their back, gently slamming into the ground. A shadow of white light pounced on them, pushing them deeper into the ground. Pana forced their eyes open, looking at the shadow, but didn't see anything. They tried to yell out, tried to call to Wave Skimmer, but they couldn't. 
The shadow had clamped down on their throat, and it took everything Pana had to breathe. Besides, Wave Skimmer wouldn't be able to hear them if this were a dream. But was it a dream? Pana no longer had the energy to figure that out. The shadow stopped pushing and began to lift Pana into the air, drawing them nearer to itself. For a brief moment, as the direction of the shadow's force in their neck changed, Pana could breathe. They drew in as much oxygen as they could, and quickly inhaled before the shadow could grab their throat again. Spots that had begun to appear in their vision withdrew slightly. Pana stared at the shadow and then stared through it. A dark outline seemed to float behind it, as if it were the thing casting the shadow, and yet it looked nothing like the shadow. It had a defined shape. Two folded ears, one with a chunk missing from it, rose from its head, and the lower portion of its head seemed to jut forward in the way that a snout would. A red glow began to emanate from Pana. They could see the light waves flowing outwards from them. Each wave moved in an arc, starting by moving out to the sides and then curving back in towards the shadow, as if they were being sucked in by a heavy wind. As more and more light left their body, flowing to the shadow, Pana felt themselves become less dense. They looked down at their body and saw that their chest was slightly transparent towards its center. Within their ribcage, they could see their heart gently beating. The shadow began to move through their transparent body as it reached for their heart. Wave Skimmer had stared at Pana as they walked away from him. He wanted to grab them and fly out of the valley, but he didn't want to accidentally hurt them. If he made a false move, the creature, or guardian of Riotho, as the villagers seemed to call it, would surely kill them. Pana described it as a dog, but it was so much more. Sure, it had ears and a nose and fur, just as Pana had said, but they didn't seem to notice the shadows, if they could even be called shadows, of light being cast from the guardian in every direction, shadows that seemed to reach out around it in the air and on the ground, covering whatever they could reach. None of the shadows even looked like the guardian. They had no shape, just a hazy sheen that was not quite laid over the ground, but seemed to rise and fall through the broken sediment. Each shadow moved independently from the guardian, while remaining stuck to it. They swirled around it, reaching out incomplete tendrils towards anyone who walked near them. When a shadow would touch a villager, it did so carefully, tentatively. It would stretch and become as thin as a needle, and then enter the villager right where their heart would be. The villager in question would shudder. Their green eyes would widen as if seeing horror. Then the sense of alarm seemed to pass, and the eyes would furrow and glance around as if looking for a stray thought. Wave Skimmer had tried to chase the guardian away, but that had angered the villagers. They had made Pana tell him to wait outside of the village, and Pana had done so before they all walked away with the guardian towards Ryotho. But what could Wave Skimmer do? He and Pana had found their own way to communicate but it was not as complex as the language he shared with other dragons. Pana had completely misunderstood his warnings and walked into danger. Though he trusted them, he also knew that on this occasion they had made a mistake, 
and there was no way to effectively tell them that he could think of. He decided to keep an eye on Pana and the Guardian from afar. If it made any move towards them, Wave Skimmer would fly in, regardless of what Pana or their villagers thought, and bring his friend to safety. When he saw it enter the cloth enclosure that Pana was sleeping in, he bounded forward and pushed at the air with his wings. He felt his claws break the ground beneath him, but knew he was moving too fast to be stuck in any of the resulting caverns. He reached the enclosure and threw his wings forward, blasting the cloth wraps with air and tearing them off of their frames. Pana was held horizontally in the air by the guardian, its shadows blocking whatever lay in its center from view. One thin tendril of shadow was pointed at Pana's chest. It began descending, but Wave Skimmer leaped into the center of the shadows, disrupting them as he landed on whatever was causing them. It dropped Pana, who woke with a gasp. All around them, villagers started to converge on the spot. Tur walked forward. They glanced between Wave Skimmer and the creature that they had referred to as the Guardian of Riotho, now wrapped together, as they clawed at each other with talons and shadows. It wasn't clear if they were going to do anything, so Pana decided to jump in. They ran to Wave Skimmer and jumped on his back. He was now standing over the Guardian, trying to pin its semi-substantial form to the ground while snapping his jaws at it. Pana didn't know how to help. The villagers still stood off to the side, watching, and no one else seemed to be coming. Wave Skimmer jerked forwards, and Pana felt himself begin to slide up and over his head. They fell right next to the Guardian, along with some bags that hadn't been securely fastened to Wave Skimmer's saddle. For the first time, Pana saw the creature not as a dog, but as a sort of essence that swirled together and formed the shape that they had been seeing since it had first met them in the house made of trees. The form of the dog began to dissipate and sink into the ground, only to rise up around Pana and wrap around them. Their arms were still free, and they lashed out at the guardian. Their fist flew through it as its form fell apart and then re-established itself. Pana fell forward. Reaching out wildly, they felt their hand connect with one of the bags and grabbed it. They spilled the contents onto the ground. Nothing in the bag would help against the guardian. Pana tried to look for Wave Skimmer so that they could see him one last time, but he was hidden behind a sudden blue light. The shadows of the guardian retreated from Pana and moved outwards towards the edges of the valley. Or at least they tried to. A moment later, they began to retreat towards a spot on the ground in front of Pana, becoming smaller and smaller with each passing second, until all of the shadows and whatever the guardian was had all entered into the small blue stone. Pana looked at the stone. It was the very one they had found with Salston. They weren't sure how it had worked, but they knew that it had done something to save them here. They would think about it more later. Now they turned to Wave Skimmer, and without any hesitation they leaped to their feet and wrapped their arms around him. Thank you, they said, for coming back for me. Everyone in Riotho will be ready to move out by tomorrow, Tur said as they waved their arm towards the village. Tools and supplies had been placed in packs or strapped to lattices that could be worn on a person's back. 
The only things that had not been packed away yet were the cloth structures that housed the villagers. They would be deconstructed last. It hadn't taken long for the villagers to come to terms with the truth of the Guardian. After a few days, Tur had told Panna that no one had had any more visions. It seemed that the Guardian itself was creating them, and then making it appear as if it were chasing them away. To what end, no one knew. But everyone was ready to leave the village behind and finally move on, beyond the valley for the first time in living memory. As for the stone, it seemed just as ordinary as usual. It was the same blue it had been when Panna and Waveskimmer had found it. They didn't even know what exactly had happened to the Guardian. Had it been absorbed into the stone? Did it still live within it? Until they learned more about the stone, there was no way to know for certain. Panna had taken the stone out each day since the event, thinking that something must have occurred to unlock it, but nothing new ever happened. All the same, Panna now had a healthy sense of wonder every time they took out the stone to practice. Panna had also apologized to Wave Skimmer immediately. They should have trusted him from the very beginning, Though Panna was worried that Waveskimmer might not accept their apology, he did, just as quickly as they had extended it. Still relatively new to traveling together in this strange and large world, Panna realized that there would be times when they would miscommunicate or have different ideas. Learning how to work together as a pair would take time and practice. More issues would arise in the future, but now Panna would be, hopefully, better prepared to respond to and help fix them. Together, they left the valley, waving one last time to Tur and the rest of Riotho. Now, the roaming sanctuary. Wave Skimmer flew into the air and over the edges of the rocky slopes. They had decided to begin heading east for a while. Though Riotho wasn't the type of environment either of them wanted to stay in, the forest around it had been nice. As Panna felt the warm air rush over their skin and saw the sun hang in a cloudless, snowless sky, they knew that they were ready to see more of this world.